Welcome to the Adventure Archives podcast, Campfire Chronicles. This is episode three, and I am Robbie Huang, and we have... Andrew Lin. And Brian Lin. And today we're going to be talking about a couple of things, but before we do any of that, we just started our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash adventure, which I saw you were about to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, um, please visit it. What you can do is you can pledge a certain amount of money, whatever you want, starting at $2, every time we release a full episode. So on our next episode, which will be Yosemite, you could pledge $2 and you'd get to watch it two weeks early. And there's all sorts of other bonuses you can get if you pay more money. And uh, it's completely optional. If you think about how little money that is, it's pretty microscopical. Like, we put out a video less than once a month so that's less than $24 and if every one of our viewers did it we could be putting out a lot more episodes more frequently yeah and so far the response has been awesome and thank you so much to everybody we don't want to waste all your time on this podcast talking about that so let's go get right into our next topic which is our recent trip to Yosemite it was pretty damn incredible (laughs) (laughs) yeah we just uh just yesterday we got to look at some of the footage for pretty much the first time on a, like a computer screen, and it looks amazing. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> so it's really, what we did was really, really good. <laughs> so Thomas lives in California right now. He planned a whole trip for us to go out to Yosemite, and we flew out there, met him there, and then we had a ball after that. <laughs> this is this is a trip he's been wanting to do since like 2009, since we went out to the Tetons in Wyoming and Yellowstone. Yeah. yeah, didn't he go to Yosemite the following year? Yeah, yeah, that's that's what really pushed him to make us want to go. Because he went with his family, but he kept saying, like, oh, I want to go with you guys and stuff. Yeah, th- when he sent pictures, I was like, wow, that place is really amazing. Because when you go to Yellowstone, you see all the mountains and stuff. But you don't necessarily actually go up the mountains because they're so intense, I guess. But Yosemite, you actually get to go on top of the mountains. Yeah, we were at the top of the cliff. Yeah, I didn't even know we were going to be doing that until afterwards. Yeah, me neither. (laughs) Now, was it your first time there? Me? Yeah, it was my first time in California, actually. Because I think me and Brian had been there, but it was a long time ago. Yeah, we went there with our family, but that was like, you know, a, a typical family trip where you drive around and you point at things and you go ooh ah and you take a picture <laughs> <laughs> wait when was that how old were you guys exactly uh i i was a kid i don't know what exactly but i was young yeah like five six mm, like seven eight nine i don't know <laughs> it was when we went to i mean we it was like a big trip like we went to california and we went up to yosemite so it was like a, a it was like a big trip um, what a hazy reality you guys must live in, where <laughs> <laughs> such huge events you have no clue what year it happened. Well, like I said, it was a big trip, so like it was it was like one small part of a big trip, you know. Yeah, we we road trip all around the West, right? Like Grand Canyon. We went to like Sacramento and Los Angeles and Nevada and the Grand Canyon. Like I I I distinctly remember being in a hotel in Las Vegas. <laughs> it was just it wasn't like a one of those big hotels. It was one of those like budget hotels yeah, just normal normal <laughs> yeah hotel. and i remember walking outside and like feeling my skin was gonna like burn off <laughs> and then the next morning we went to the grand canyon and we like were there for like a couple hours and then we drove off right 
I something like that. I remember we were watching the sunset and at a ranger talk. Though. <laughs> and well, what was you guys' impression of California? Like, because for me, that's my first time going there. But the overwhelming sense that I had was like, wow, this is just like Florida. But I think it was just because there was palm trees. Well, when I was a kid, I didn't think much of it. I just remember there being palm trees and thinking gas was really expensive. Oh no, course, I meant now. No, I know. Yeah, back back then it was like one ninety eight. But anyway, when I when I went there this time, I just remember thinking like, wow. Like, the thing that popped in my head are, like, these 80s, like, video game covers or something, like, where you see, like, the sunset sky, like, this perfect gradient without clouds and, like, these silhouetted palm trees. It looked a lot like that. (laughs) That's kind of weird, because I didn't really have much opinion as, like, I didn't have much opinion about California in general. For me, it was just like, oh, it's just another place. Well, we just come back from Yosemite, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess for me, the big thing was that I I know a lot of people from California. And it's always been in my mind, it's like, oh, what is that like, California? Because not that they're so much different, but they are different for me. And I was, like, curious to see, like, it, just from a Midwestern perspective, like, what is it about California that, like, we find different? But just for me, it's just it just seemed like a coastal city, like a coastal place, just in the same way that Florida was. I'd I'd say that's pretty accurate. I mean, I think we've been to Florida before, and it I it, I don't know. I remember I, them being similar. I think we would have had if we had had more time to actually see the place and actually like interact with people there. We might have had developed a stronger opinion about the place because I think California is less about the place and more about the people at the in that place. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess that's true for most places. I, actually, the the biggest memory from our recent trip there is just the traffic. The traffic was so horrible. <laughs> oh my that, god! Like that's terrible. gonna be stamped in my mind forever. Thomas did drive me around Beverly Hills at night, and I mean, there, you saw I saw like the Chinese theater and stuff, but it wasn't that exciting. <laughs> yeah, I, that was I was too tired. That was after the trip. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about what the actual trip was like itself without spoiling anything? For I think people, yeah, that's probably what our viewers want to hear more about. <laughs> yeah, I think we should all give kind of like a maybe like a few words that sum it up. <laughs> Yeah, like your your thoughts about the trip after, now that it's over. Okay, why don't we start with you, Andrew? I guess Epic comes to mind. Uh, beautiful campsite comes to mind. <laughs> um, and really, really strenuous, but totally worth it. Okay, so for me, I remember in the Hocking Hills video when we went to Ash Cave, I was talking about how when you look at it, it's kind of like you can't get a good sense of like scale. And your eyes kind of like, what is, what, am I looking at something far away or close or how big is this actually? And it was kind of like the same feeling I had when we were there because in the distance you see all these mountains and then when you look straight up, you see more mountains and you're like, wait a minute, am I looking at a real thing or is this kind of like a skybox? Like in a Yeah, video yeah. I, I think I brought that up a lot when we were hiking. Like I would always look at the cliff sides and it was just so weird because there's so many pronounced like edges and defined shadows when you're looking at the cliff face and you're you're i guess it's because because we play a lot of video games but you look at it and you're like man is this thing real or like it's so weird (laughs) yeah and especially in the midwest you have no mountains yeah so like we're just used to to. flatness yeah it's It's like very surreal (laughs) the closest we get is like when you sometimes the clouds will be on the horizon you're like oh those clouds look like mountains (laughs) but (laughs) yeah when you're out there in the west it's like wow this is like this is it and, you know, um, this is the Sierra Nevada mountain range, right? Yosemite is? Yeah, yeah. Um, that is actually... So, let's go ahead and skip right to my origin story. We're going to do this later <laughs> in the episode. 
but I think this is relevant now, which is that, um, so when we first started camping, it was in 2007, the year I graduated from college and my brother took us out to Hocking Hills. So that was kind of like my introduction to camping. But at the same time, we also started watching Bear Grylls and Survivor Man. <laughs> and I remember the very first episode of Bear Grylls we watched, it was on some like bootleg stream that somebody, it was, this was like YouTube was barely in existence at this point. Like, I don't know what type of site we found this on. Maybe we torrented it or something. I don't know. But we watched the Sierra Nevada episode of Bear Grylls. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, I would give nothing or I would give anything to go there. Like, it just looks so amazing. And now it's funny, like how many years later we've actually been there and like, we've experienced that same thing. Maybe not to the same degree he did. Cause he like parachuted into a lake, <laughs> <laughs> but we did get to go into the mountains and like, it's, it's really surreal to think about that. Just the progression of time. Sometimes you feel like, Oh, I could never do that, but give it enough time. You could do anything. It's, it's funny because, uh, well, you mentioned the Hocking Hills story, and that's kind of the sense I had. Like, I, I feel like before that first camping trip that I took at Hocking Hills, I, like, didn't have a real conception of how beautiful nature could be. And at Hocking Hills, I was just like, my mind was blown at all these cliffs and rock formations. And it was just like, wow, this, like, actually exists in reality. Well, it's also funny, too, because just, like, when I was a kid, I distinctly remember having a conversation with my mom talking about how I'm not an outdoor person. <laughs> and... That has, like, completely flipped. Like, it is, like, the opposite. Like, if anything, I prefer the outdoors to the indoors. And a big part of it is I think that, like, um, modern technology is just so addictive and, like, you just kind of get absorbed in it. And when I'm outdoors, I finally feel free of all of my stuff and obligations. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thank God, you know. There's nothing that I have to be doing right now. It's kind of ironic because, like, I get really addicted to the Internet and here I am loving nature <laughs> yeah. but but it's because of that that i love nature it, it, you know it's funny because um i think andrew is like an extreme or ex uh is an example of extremes when it comes to this because <laughs> i will literally wake up for work and he'll be sleeping until like noon and then i'll come home and i'll be lying like in this weird position on his bed with his laptop on his belly <laughs> like redditing <laughs> i'm like have you moved the whole day <laughs> well it's like that's how you live a life of balance these days which is you go really far Extremes, one direction yeah. <laughs> you go really far the other direction because when andrew's in the wild there's no man who is more of a wild man than andrew <laughs> like he's like not wearing any shoes he's like got dirt all over him and he's like foraging for mushrooms and like <laughs> putting face paint on and then he comes home and he's got like puts on his like google glasses <laughs> which i i don't actually own <laughs> yeah. but once once vr makes mainstream have, you'll have, have those on all the time oh yeah <laughs> so i would totally I, give course. google glass a go <laughs> you know vr is the future we should talk about that in a later episode but the second any VR headset comes out, I will be buying it. I do not care how much it costs. I will buy it on credit. It does not matter. Oh, and also, the second a VR camera comes out, there will be an Adventure Archives episode up the next week. Like, a week from the day we get the camera, there will be an episode. <laughs> doesn't matter what's happening. This is just like, um, I've always said that if aliens ever land, that I will drop 
anything I'm doing. It does not matter what I'm doing. If aliens land on this planet, I will go see them, and I don't. I will not take no for an answer. If somebody tries to stop me from seeing those aliens and having sex with those female aliens, then <laughs> <laughs> I will be the first to volunteer, and nobody's stopping me. You will be our our poster child for for um. Peace between aliens. <laughs> You'll be Earth's ambassador. <laughs> I will also be the first. Uh, I'll be patient zero for the first alien-human STDs. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, well, it's funny because well, one thing I'm really glad about is that our videos still inspire people to go outside. <laughs> like, because you said the VR thing, and I'm so down, but I also am like, man, Ray Bradbury would probably roll over in his grave. Not oh, that I care yeah. what he thinks, but it's like, but um. No, well, I see, think, here's but I think it still inspire people to go out. Like. Well, the way I see it is you can use technology two ways. You can use it to enhance your life, or you can use it, or it can control your life, you know? And if people are, if people are using VR, like, and they're, like, really, like, for example, if we had an episode and they were watching it on VR, uh, you know, goggles or whatever, and it was, like, made it more immersive for them and they were enjoying it, yeah, I'd be, I'd be like, go for it, man, if that, if, you know, if, this is how you want to enjoy it. That's fine. But just don't like let it control your life and be like a sim in a video game all of a sudden. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing with technology is like it's very alluring. So it's really easy to fall into all those traps. Like I think that's the growing pains that we're going through with society in general. Like the smartphone like revolution has come, but yeah. it's like we're all adjusting to how much we should use them and how to how to like disconnect because we can't really live without them anymore so we have to learn how to live with them i've but, been um, watching mad men and every single person has a cigarette in their hands and like now we just all have smartphones in our hands <laughs> oh you know what somebody said the other day they were like she thought that the that cell phone radiation would be the same thing that tobacco was back in the day so like everybody's like oh don't worry about it tobacco come on man there's, there's no problem with tobacco and in the same way, people are always like, oh, cell phone radiation? Come on, it's no problem. Actually, I, ha I have to mention this because actually um, a lot of the think tanks that deny climate change, uh, without getting too much into this political issue, a lot of the think tanks that do that have the same exact like individuals working for them as the ones that denied any cancer link to cigarettes. <laughs> really? Same people? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's... I don't see how anybody <laughs> could deny cigarettes are bad for you but let's not delve any deeper into that uh, um but yeah no you're right rob because i remember specifically me and andrew were sitting at the airport and obviously when you're waiting for a plane you really don't have much to do um but i was just i just sat there and i put my phone down for a second i looked up at everyone sitting in the plane lobby and nine out of ten of the people were like just staring at a phone or like sitting next to a plug, charging their phone and looking at it. <laughs> and I was just like, man, you know, what if a few of these people just got up and just said hello to someone and just started talking to them? Well, you that's I'm, I'm really glad you said that because actually on this trip, I made a point of doing exactly that. Mm -hmm. And it was great, man. Like on the way there. I talked to this woman next to me, and it turns out she lives in the same neighborhood my brother does. I talked to her, like, the whole oh, wow. ride, learned all about her family, and then waiting for another plane, I talked to another guy who just got done on a mission trip um, to, what's that, Papua New Guinea, and, he, like, he filmed the natives and stuff, or and they needed, like, a videographer, and he was like, man, I wish I had had you at that time. <laughs> and then, like, 
on the way home, like I talked to another guy who's like, he travels all over the country doing training for some type of like biomedical technology or something. But it's crazy because like I could have just played on my phone, right? I would have been bored doing the same thing I could do anytime. But like, I was like, you know what? I want to like kind of enrich my life and learn something new, even if there's no like practical point to it. Yeah. Yeah. The guy, the first, um, on our first flight, mm-hmm. To Yosemite, um, the guy sitting next to us just had his headphones on and was on his phone oh, yeah, 100% yeah, yeah, yeah. of the flight. And <laughs> he, he was like writing a post for Facebook and the the stewardess or flight attendant, that's the word now. He was like a blogger or something, I think. He's some like entrepreneur or something. <laughs> but he was like writing, he was typing up a post and the, you know how they're always like, oh, you got to turn off. He's like, like, oh, I can post offline. It's fine. <laughs> He's like, oh, I can post offline. And then he kind of went back to typing and I'm like... But at the same time, I feel like a, a plank calling the the splinter wood. <laughs> 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 That's close enough. But yeah, no, it's true. I mean, like, there's no reason to judge other people. Just use other people as an like a mirror for yourself. Be like, oh, I don't want to act like that, so I'm not going to. Yeah. So but, I mean, the lesson like... to take away from this is if you find yourself in a situation where you could put down your phone and say hello to someone, give it a shot. I'm starting with the man in the mirror <laughs> or like if you're really digging your phone man don't feel bad if you're like i'm i love this game and you're playing it like go for it but yeah, like if you're yeah. bored like maybe try something else it'd be funner okay um so yeah that's all very interesting why don't we get into um the questions that people asked us from last episode sounds good okay james bolts and never sink outdoors were wondering uh, about the filming process of adventure archives yeah, uh, I think we barely touched on this a little bit in uh, episode two, where um, we were talking about just how much goes into making an episode. There's a lot to discuss with regards to this topic, so I think we might save it for like the next episode of Campfire Chronicles. What What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it needs to be an episode all on its own because we can run through from start to finish exactly what we do. Because yeah. it'll take a while, and like if we just went over it a little bit, it be, wouldn't be that interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then let's go on to the next question from Alan Lyons. Andrew, why don't you read it? Okay, uh, he was wondering about... He, he wanted to know more about how I taught myself botanical knowledge. Because I talked about it briefly in Red River Gorge, but um, I guess I'll go in more in depth. So it, it is true that I was like depressed about graduate school. It was the winter break, and I just signed on to the ODNR website and uh, looked at some trees and... Stri- I wanted to learn how to identify them, and it was winter, so I was like, well, best time to learn is when it's hardest to learn. Um, and I also went on walks with my dad and he actually knew a couple and that helps too. And after that, I was just like, wow, I want to learn more. And I took a class called the natural history of Ohio, um, at Ohio state. And the first half of the class was just talking about like the geological history with the glaciers and things like that. And then the second half was like a lot of like plant identification, animal identification, bird ID, things like that. And it was really cool because we were like walking around in parks learning about different wildflowers and trees and things like that. And since I already knew trees, I was actually already pretty good at it. Um, And I don't know, that just sort of like spurred this passion because I really wanted to know things that uh, most people don't observe at all. Like I remember before I learned anything, I'd walk through a forest and everything would just look like leaves to me, you know. And then learning this, it was like learning a, a whole nother language in another country. Like you can suddenly read all the different signs and things like that. So now from now on, whenever I'm on a walk, I'll take my phone with me, uh, take pictures of anything that I don't know. 
And what I usually do is I post it on these subreddits where you can ask like what it is. And but I also have a bunch of identification books that I go through. Um, the one I use the most is my Mushroom Audubon Society Guide, because a lot of times I'll see a mushroom and I'll pull that out and try to identify it. But mushrooms have kind of been my latest thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, now correct me if I'm wrong, but would you say that passion is like the number one reason why you've learned so much about it and just like that's something you're interested in so that you naturally just wanted to seek out that information yeah i would say so and it i think there was sort of a snowball effect because when you learn a little bit you're like wow there's like so much about the natural world that you can start noticing like like even just learning a few trees you're like oh wow i i'm suddenly noticing that certain trees grow in certain areas and things like that and you can you can do certain things with certain trees or eat the fruits and stuff. And so that only like fueled the fire, I think. But And then I'd also probably say that like not many people know this. So like, it's probably pretty fun to be like the only person who knows all about like trees and stuff. Right? Yeah. E- ego, ego plays a part too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that um, like in the past month or so, I've been kind of learning trees too. Uh, with Andrew as my mentor. <laughs> but, you know, when you start, like, noticing, or when you start noticing, like, the differences in bark and the small nuances in the leaves, you kind of look at these things more often when you're just walking around. You just kind of find yourself glancing at them and thinking, like, hmm, is that that one tree that I know? And then, so, I guess curiosity at some point takes over and you just kind of want to know more. Brian, have you found that you pick up on a lot of subtle differences that you never noticed before? Subtle difference with regard to Like, uh, between, like, different types of trees and things like that? Well, I definitely notice, um, I start looking for a lot of the differences in the bark of trees, because, I mean, I guess bark is something that you would never really think of. Yeah, because... If you didn't really, you know, care to identify trees, but when you actually look closely at them, there's a lot of different kinds of bark, and there's a lot of differences between them that you begin to notice and you and you kind of like start grouping them up. It's pretty amazing. It's like, it's almost like recognizing a word. Like I can now glance at a tree and I usually, I know what it is, at least in Ohio. Um, and you know, I'll say this, that I don't think it's necessary to be able to identify stuff to appreciate nature by any means. Cause I mean, nature's beautiful no matter what. Um, but I think it does in a way make you appreciate it. Maybe not more, but in a different way. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really cool that you're so interested in it because I love when people are really basically nerds about whatever it is that they're interested in. And it's great because, like, I have no interest in that and I don't want to learn anything about it. Like, I'm not sparked to do it. But, like, just hearing somebody who's interested talk about that, it's, like, it's fascinating. Like, even if I'm not fascinated by it myself, it's I love hearing other people talk about what their passions are. I remember I was at a a car shop recently and (laughs) um, I had to get like, I had my tires changed sort of on an emergency in Chicago because I got a flat tire. So I went to this car shop, uh, local one and the guy was like, Oh no, you put these tires on. That's not the one I would have done. I would have put these on. And he's like so (laughs) into it. And it was really cool. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, man, it's, it's good because like, that's like how as a species we can be like more than what we are by ourselves. Like if you can, if each person's specializing then together, you can form like this Voltron of knowledge, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's just, it's, I think that's a really cool thing. We need Um, a society that 
that lets people do what they want anyway <laughs> yeah well i mean that's the that's the goal right is like you get past the industrial revolution and then it's no longer like we need to be making things all the time now it's to the point where more or less all of our basic needs can be taken care of well eventually like that's what we're trying to get to to where all our basic needs can be taken care of then we just do the star trek thing and everybody's off journeying <laughs> and becoming better people you know yeah yeah okay so uh next question is also from alan our alan lyons and uh brian why don't you read this question okay okay he was asking if we could talk about um what we like about tarp camping and why it's featured so often in our videos um and i guess this would be another question for andrew to answer um honestly like i think when i first got a tarp i just I kept browsing all these bushcraft forums and seeing people using tarps and watching a lot of Ray Mears and he always uses a tarp. And I was just thinking, wow, that's like, it looks lightweight. You're like sleeping on the earth and connected to it. It just seems really fun. And with regards to Adventure Archives, it's kind of something I wanted to show on film too. Because um, tents, like, tents are cool, but tarps, I, I don't know, something about them really appeals to me. The simplicity of it and the versatility of it, I guess. Well, I'd say what I love about it is the fact that you don't have to carry a tent. You carry like a, a eight ounce tarp or pound tarp, like, and that's that's really freeing. Yeah, and I I also like the fact that you can just like get up and walk out if you want and look at the stars and just ha another thing is comfort wise. A lot of times I really like having just the breeze flowing through. Um, sometimes a tent can feel too stuffy for me. Yeah, you know it's funny I don't think I've used a tent the last two trips and I don't really miss it. Like, especially since we haven't gone where the mosquitoes have been really bad recently. So as long as the mosquitoes aren't bad, like I would prefer sitting, sleeping outdoors. <laughs> I guess you're fortunate enough to be able to like fall asleep on any surface too. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Cause for me, like I, I, I have nothing against tarp camping, but I've recently picked up on hammock camping how I sleep at night is really important when I'm going camping because, you know, I, if, I, if I'm not comfortable, then I get a terrible night's sleep and I feel like crap the next day. And recently when I used the hammock in Red River Gorge, it was super comfortable. And I mean, it was still, it was still more lightweight than the tent. And I don't know, it was just a really nice new experience. And, and even though it's not completely open, like the tarp is, uh, the fact that the rain fly on it, is optional first of all and you can also kind of position it so that it's not completely enclosing like it is on a tent it feels a lot more freeing you can lie in the hammock and like look outside and still see the view and everything plus a lot of hammocks are open too i what i what i'll say is when i tried your hammock i was sold man like i was so comfortable oh man <laughs> it, i don't it, think it, i've tried it yet oh well you need to try it next time you're around because yeah well actually i had a question about the hammock was um so without spoiling too much, was did it get cold last time or something? Like, what happened with that? Is yeah, that a typical problem with uh, hammocks or something? I wouldn't say it's like a problem, but it's more of just a well-known thing about hammocks. So when you're in a tent or, you know, just under a tarp, your back is on the ground. And if it's not, you know, cold, like actual winter or things like or something like that, then the ground is relatively warm because, you know, it absorbs the heat throughout the day. So the ground keeps your back warm. Um, but the thing with the hammock is, especially when we were uh, on our last trip, uh, the temperature got down to probably like 50 degrees, which isn't really too bad, but it was really windy where we were. 
So since the only thing between my back and the outside wind is a thin layer of hammock, uh, you lose a lot of heat from your back, so it actually you can get really cold really easily. Now, what temperature is your sleeping bag rated for? My sleeping bag's rated for 15 degrees, but like I said, that's generally... You know, when you've got like maybe right? like an air mattress or something underneath you, you know? Fahrenheit, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Heat, heat yeah, loss that's... through convection versus conduction. Yes. Yeah, that's... Uh, I was I was just curious if you'd had a warmer sleeping bag, if it still would have been as bad. Well, the thing is, is when you're lying in the hammock in a sleeping bag, like you'd think it would be enough to keep you warm, but since you're squishing all that fluff in your sleeping bag by lying on top of it, there's, you lose a lot of the actual insulation on your back. Um, so there's things called underquilts, which are uh, basically little fluffy down things that you hang underneath your hammock that kind of insulates your back when you're hanging in it. And I'm thinking now, about getting one. What What did that one guy on our comments, uh, he called them like ground willies or something? <laughs> like what did he call people who sleep on the ground? Do you oh. guys remember? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> it was like in those like ground billies or something. <laughs> like, they're welcome too. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the tarps are cool, hammocks are cool, <laughs> tents are okay. They're kind of heavy, but they're cool too. <laughs> they're good for keeping mosquitoes out. That's for sure. I, I will say one thing that does appeal to me about a tent is like having everything you need contained in a nice little shelter. <laughs> I don't know. There's something cozy about it, I guess. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. So next episode, we're going to talk about minimalism. Like that, I love talking about minimalism. So Dan Val asks, what outdoor activity slash extreme sport would you like to do? E.g. scuba diving, snowboarding. Does anybody have a good answer for this? I've got one, but I'll never do it. <laughs> um, well, one thing that I've actually done is skydiving. And I did this. There's a course at OSU that actually offered it. And I was like, I got to do this. Um, I didn't do it alone though. I did like tandem where you're attached to someone who knows what they're doing, but I could definitely see that being addicting because it's like so thrilling. It's really, really gut wrenching when you're on that plane looking outside on the ground. Um, but then you jump out and it's like, it's a really thrilling experience to just like be in free fall and then like to pull that parachute out and be floating down. It's really cool. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I, I asked the instructors, I would like to and they're like, yeah, this never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would love to do that someday. Uh, Brian, do you have an answer for this? Um, yeah. Uh, well, I have done snowboarding, but I've only done it once. Uh, and it's it was pretty fun, but it's really tough to do that. Um, but I think one thing I would really like to try is paragliding, I think is what it's called. Mm. Uh, it's kind of like a cross between skydiving and <laughs> gliding i guess because you got a parachute but you don't actually you know jump out of a plane or anything you kind of like jump off a cliff and uh i think the par- the parachute is already open like like something pulls you get pulled off a cliff so the parachute's already open behind you so you're basically gliding the whole way down but i think it'd be pretty cool because it's it seems like something that's actually pretty calming because you're kind of in control with the parachute um, but you still have like that whole openness beneath you. Um, and that's something I would definitely try. So my answer is um, wingsuit diving, which is um, you wear this suit that basically makes you a flying squirrel. And then you jump <laughs> off of a mountain and you like you can like fly and navigate and stuff. Look up some videos of it because it's incredible. I would never actually do this because I've also heard stories of people getting like seriously destroyed like 
dead, like, but they like splatter and it just sounds really bad. But, um, apparently you need like, just to be legally allowed to do it, you have to do a certain like hundreds and or thousands of hours of just regular, uh, cliff diving. But, uh, it looks amazing. Like if you could actually do it safely, it'd be probably the closest thing to flying that humans can do. Yeah, I'd like to do regular hang gliding, too, at some point. I think that'd be pretty fun. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, wing, wingsuit diving has always appealed to me because it'd just be cool to be, like, Batman. Um, <laughs> a couple other things I'd be into is, like, uh, adventure racing. I think that sounds really cool. What um, is adventure racing? Apparently, Les Stroud does it, but as far as I understand, you just, like, have a team and you navigate through the wilderness and stuff, and you're racing against other teams to get to a certain point. Um, I don't know much more than that, but it's like extreme hiking, basically. <laughs> <laughs> competitive hiking. That's like competitive yoga. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that. <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> that seems to defeat the whole point of yoga. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was laughing at. That's what a lot of critics of it say, too. But uh, whatever. I mean, if you if you can find a way to enjoy competitive yoga, yoga go for it. <laughs> what I One thing I will say is, like, a lot of these things sound super fun, um, I'll never want to climb Everest, but anyway, a lot of these things sound really fun, but at the same time, I think my like relationship with the nature is one that feels more calm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of the competitive stuff. Um, I, I love competition. I think it's really fun and it's great, but I, I usually don't like to mix nature and competition. Like I usually go to nature to get away from competition. Yeah. Com- competition is kind of an unnatural state, actually, contrary to popular belief i think at least why it does it improves testosterone why why do you think that though well i don't know there's lots of research articles that suggest we work better as cooperative people and that naturally we're not we're not programmed to like compete against each other but to help each other out and to empathize with you with each other oh i see what you mean yeah because i mean that's a really interesting point though if you think of like um cavemen and stuff like that right you know when you're out there you think, okay, well, surviving together is obviously your best chance. But then at the same time, what if there was like a situation where there's a food shortage or something and you couldn't feed everyone? Then it would become like a, almost like a competitive state, maybe between like two tribes or something like that. You know, because if you can't support everyone, then who do you support? You know, well, it's like survival of the fittest is kind of like a natural state, you know, which is essentially competition. A lot of anthropologists say that like hunter-gathering societies were egalitarian, but then when we started like farming, agriculture, and stuff, that's when competition arose. And I guess the big question is like what you were saying: like was it out of necessity? Like were people struggling, so they had to figure out how to farm and how to compete, or did people have abundance and then they learned to farm because of that? And that's like one of the great questions, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so moving on to the next question. Um, Tyson Belko asks, have you guys played Xenogears? And I'm just going to direct this question right at Robbie because me and Andrew have not played it, but I know Robbie has. Yes, I have played it. So I played it originally when it came out, uh, probably the year it came out, which I think was 1998, and finished it, didn't understand any of the story. Fast forward to maybe 2011, I tried to play it again. Again, I didn't understand the story. (laughs) Um... But the game has great music, great visuals, and um, there are two... Well, there's lots of sequels, kind of spiritual successors. But there's one coming out for the Wii U, which I think we're all pretty excited about, which is Xenoblade Chronicles X, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which looks quite cool. 
Yeah. But uh, quick side note, Xenogears has some amazing music. In fact, like a lot of the music in that game, the composer is one of the big influences for at least the music that I write for Adventure Archive. What's his name? Yasunori Mitsuda. Oh, it's him. Oh, right. Yeah. He did um, Chrono Trigger's music and Chrono Cross, but... Yeah, he he's makes some amazing music. That's pro- that's probably like the thing I remember most about the game is that the music is incredible. I have yet to play Xenoblade. I when I first saw the trailer for that, I really wanted to play it, but I haven't gotten around to it. But I everyone seems to say it's a really good game. I started it, and I don't know how. But Brian, I think started it too. I got like maybe like five hours in, and it's great. But it just man, it's such a huge game. I was, just didn't want to dedicate the time to it. Yeah, I know what you mean. It, it's from what I've heard, it's definitely got a lot of content and a lot of play you need to put a lot of time behind it um quick note about the guy who asked the question tyson belko he has a medium page which is basically like a cool little it's kind of like a blog website but specifically for writing short stories his stories are really cool i've only read one of them but i really want to read the others you guys should definitely check it out because this dude has like the exact same philosophy about society that we do yeah he sent us a message and just was like check these out and i was like oh well these are good but um yeah, I just want to give him a shout-out for that, too. Okay, so the final question, um, I put this at the end on purpose because this is kind of like the big one. It was asked by Dan Val. He says, what is your favorite video game of all time? It's vacillated between a lot of different games, but every single time this one comes back, which is Ocarina of Time. And, you know, a lot of people have this answer, and I just heard somebody the other day say that this is the Citizen Kane of video games. And... I don't really like Citizen Kane, so I <laughs> I don't think that's a fair characterization, but I know what he meant, and I agree. Like, this is the game that set the stage for all modern video games, because it was, like, the first 3D game that really got it right, and even today, like, I could play that game right now, and everything about it, like, the music, gameplay, even the graphics, and, like, the atmosphere are perfect like it gives me that sense that i'm actually on an adventure myself and that i'm going to all these different places and like there's an actual world i don't know how to describe it exactly but it it just has such a lived-in real feeling you know what i mean you know it's it's funny because a lot of open world games today probably they probably owe a lot to that game but a lot of open world games feel not lived in because because they're so expansive that all the non-playable characters like don't have any depth and a lot of it feels like staged almost. You know, that's funny you should say that because I think part of the strength is of that game is that it's small enough that even though it's not even close to as big as the real world is, it's small enough that you can kind of remember everything, but it's big enough that you're like, oh wow, there's, there's that place over there and you can go over there, but you kind of still have a sense of everything in its location. So it's like the si- the fact that it's not so huge makes it huge, if that makes any sense. I- I'm of a younger generation, so I actually never played that when it originally came out, but I played it on 3DS. But I think, I don't know, I like a lot of games like Metroid Prime and things like that. But when I think about it, I think Twilight Princess, which is sort of like a spiritual successor to Ocarina of Time, might be my top. And it really gives me that same sense of like this expansive world that's like full and realize and stuff like that but you know it's funny because twilight princess could be one of my answers i think it's just ocarina of time came at such a perfect point in my life and it was so revolutionary for the time like when that game came out 
I spent two weeks, like, there, it came out over Thanksgiving break, and I remember during Thanksgiving break, I slept on the couch in the living room, got up, played the game until nighttime, and then slept on the couch. So, like, <laughs> there was literally nothing but eating in between. <laughs> okay, well, I was actually going to say Twilight Princess 2, <laughs> um, because actually... I probably, if I was in the same situation as Robbie, I probably would have said Ocarina of Time, but um, I don't think I was able to appreciate games as much back then. Uh, so I never actually beat Ocarina of Time, you know, back when it was, you know, the game. Um, so I don't think it has a, had as big of effect on me. And then the first Zelda game I really, like, or I guess the first console Zelda game I got into was Wind Waker. And that was a great game, but it didn't really pull me in. But Twilight Princess, for some reason, I felt, you know, everything that you described about Ocarina of Time, I felt like the same way about uh, Twilight Princess. Well, I mean, we can also just talk about our runner-ups, too. Like, I mean, of course <laughs> yeah, we yeah, have to mention yeah. Halo 1. Like, Halo 1 is just like... that. It's funny, because Halo 1 is... I Still, nobody's done that game again, in my mind. A game where you can drive with three people in a Jeep and you're on an alien world and you're like, where am I and what's going on? And if I don't kill these aliens, uh, the human race is going to be dead. And like, it's yeah. all on me. And just no other game has done that. And then like, there's like Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island. That's literally the perfect platformer. I don't care what you say. <laughs> no other game has stopped that yet as far as platformers go. You know, one one thing that appeals to me a lot in video games are really really rich and varied environments and a really really good story and that's why i don't like destiny <laughs> but anyway um like i was just thinking when you said halo like halo and halo 3 have such perfect like feelings to their environments because it's like it almost feels like an open world in the sense that it's not just a linear hallway and like everything's so colorful and rich and um crystal chronicles is something that we talked about a lot and i think has been oh, an yeah. inspiration for the show because, like, that game, for all its imperfections, like, the feeling you get from it is so perfect. Like, that sense of going out on an adventure in this, like, really rich and diverse and colorful world with your friends and, like, camping out by the stream and stuff like that. It's just... Oh, you know what? Have we talked about Torch Lake, Crystal Chronicles, and our original, like... That was kind of, like, during the time that we started doing outdoor adventures. I don't know. We might have to save that for next times. I was actually going to use that as my story. Oh, the okay. Then, yeah, next time. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, again, Andrew took my game. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when you when you talk about, like, your favorite game, there's so many, you know, different criteria you can judge a game by. Like, I could say Diablo 2 or, um, you know, Super Smash Bros. just based on either, A, the amount of time I've played the game or, B, how much I enjoyed the game when I played it. Um, but I think when it comes to what I find like my favorite in my favorite video game, I think it's something that I experience something that I can experience with other people. So it generally always comes down to some sort of multiplayer game. And like Andrew said, Crystal Chronicles really captured a great feeling of being able to, of like camaraderie. So when you're playing with someone, you really feel like you're, bonding with them and like you're on this adventure with them uh so final fantasy crystal chronicles definitely definitely one of my most favorite games simply for the 
the sheer experience that you have when you play it with your friends. Yeah, there's games are always better with other people. Like even single player games, like if you're all sitting on the couch playing together, yeah. that is more fun than playing by yourself. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Metal Gear Solid, the original one, I played that at one of my birthday parties, and we literally, we almost finished it, but we started like at maybe seven o'clock at night, and we played through until like six in the morning, <laughs> and that was just man, that game would just like, wow, that game, wow, that's close too. But I, I'm one of those people who has a running top ten list of the best video games I've ever played. So like whenever I, somebody asks me this question, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm like, okay, I got you, man. I've, I've thought about this a lot, man. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm sitting there pooping and I'm like, Hmm, what, what's my favorite game? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, anything else you guys want to add about favorite video game of all time? The game of life. <laughs> <laughs> not talking about the board game. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes life kind of disappoints me a lot yeah, of times. That, and I'm like, why true. is this not going my way? <laughs> and I don't understand the rules of this game. Like sometimes the... <laughs> it's like... um. Why'd they make sometimes... that level so hard? <laughs> <laughs> life is some. We should put a link to that in the yeah, we podcast. That's, um, <laughs> sometimes like life is like... Uh, it's like one of those dreams... Or no, it's like a badly programmed game or like a malfunctioning keyboard where you press a button one time and it works. And then later on it doesn't work. And you're like, how come this was working before, but now it's not working? Like, you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just got silence as a response. Uh, I'm going oh, to throw just me, in dog. one more game. Uh, one more game name as my favorite video game. And that's uh, something we're all familiar with, Secret of Mana. Oh, yes. Oh, um, great choice, yeah. Yeah, and and going back to the whole multiplayer thing, I think it stemmed from, well, first of all, the Secret of Mana has got like your very typical JRPG story of this person just suddenly becoming like a hero who needs to save the world, and that not, was not to mention he's an outcast from his village. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I think that was kind of appealing to us back uh, when we first played it, but also the fact that it had multiplayer, so you could play with two other people, coincidentally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I know, I remember the times where we spent playing that game, you know, hours on end, and then you, we would get reached the end, fight the uh, the uh, mana dragon, was it? Mana beast. Mana beast. And, uh, and then, remember the, the hours we spent searching for those weapon orbs and things like that? Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny, I got a funny story about that game, which is that uh, games back then used to cost a lot of money. Like that game was seventy nine dollars at what? EB really? Games. Yeah, yeah. No, that was standard for Super Nintendo games. Like wow, seventy I, to eighty dollars. They got more expensive recently. Like I thought yeah, sixty and, was expensive. Yeah, when you count inflation, that's like a hundred dollars, man. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so we used to rent the game from Marsh, which is a local grocery store here. We'd rent it all the time, and we never got past this certain point. Finally, when we bought it and we got past that point, it was literally like uh. Man, how do I describe this? It was like finding out that Santa wasn't real, but in a good way. <laughs> it was like <laughs> finding like... out that Santa was real. You're like, holy crap, there's like a whole nother world past this. Like, there's, oh my god, there's like this level where like the seasons change and there's like this ice world. Like when you uh, first get flamey and you like, yeah, first yeah. fly up and you're like, oh my god, I can actually fly to different places. <laughs> oh my god, it was unbelievable because we never got past Gaia's navel which if you've played the game is not very far into the game <laughs> <laughs> and like we just kept going like we'd start from the beginning we'd get to Gaia's navel and be like well where do we go next 
And then when we got past it, we were just like, holy crap, dude, this is, I remember I had to do homework and my brother, he kept playing. So I was doing, I was forced to do homework watching him play. And I was like, oh God, I want to play so bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the very similar feeling to how I felt when we first went to Hawking Hills to tie it all together. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's funny because I never actually played Secret of Mana with you guys. I think I was, like, playing on the cartridge or something. <laughs> no, I, I'm pretty sure you probably played at some point or another when we were at our aunt's house. Maybe on an emulator, but I don't know. Oh, but, yeah, but it was mostly my cousin and my brother who were playing with us, I think. Uh, but at the same time, it's our still, cousin. like, I, I, I would watch it, and the music is, like, super nostalgic to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that music. Yeah, that music is huge for Adventure Archives. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. So many of our songs are just a diff- secret of mana. Like, <laughs> My, <laughs> it's like, if, if I were to associate a song with being outside, it would be the song from Secret of Mana. The very first song you hear when you leave, and it's called Into the Thick of It. And That's such a great title, too. Yeah. And that like, song... It perfectly just, captures it. Yeah, that, I just feel... I Like, sometimes when we're hiking, I'm literally humming that song yeah. in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, we actually used to bring a little portable speaker while we were hiking, and we'd play music like that, and it was so much fun to, like, that, hike that with song, that music. That song, I specifically remember, like, the image of your sprite, like, your character going through, like, tall grass in a forest, and, like, that image of a meadow is, like, so associated uh-huh. with that music, and it's like, oh, man. Insert clip of music now. Um, but, yeah, so... Yeah, just when we went to Hawking Hills that first time. I guess we'll retouch on that origin story about Hawking Hills. But um, my brother took us out to Hawking Hills, and it was really the first time that we had experienced nature. We've talked about this before, but it's weird because uh, you go out to one of those places like that, and if you're not somebody who's been into the outdoors very much, I think... I'm just kind of like guessing here, but I think at, that's kind of like a turning point. It's either you are going to become an outdoors person at that point or you're not. Like, so if you're somebody who will be affected by it, you'll be affected by it immediately with places like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's just so incredible, you know? Especially like, I mean, I, I was always into nature as a kid and like, but it was in my backyard and at parks and like you get some hills and like forests and stuff, but never anything like that. Like all these towering cliffs and caves and like valleys and things like that i don't know gorges i guess but it was just like such a different landscape and i remember seeing all the moss and the ferns and it looks like some sort of like rainforest and just really amazing yeah go to hawking hills man like if you're anywhere in the midwest it's worth the drive it's like if you're listening to this you might already be a backpacker and you've seen amazing stuff but if you're, like, on the cusp and you're, like, I've never really been outside before and I don't want to, like, go backpacking and, like, have to, like, bring my own food and stuff and I just want to see amazing nature, Hawking Hills is where you should go. Mm. Totally. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, well, I think, uh, do you guys have any final thoughts for today? Oh, I guess, uh, life is the best MMORPG there. No, actually, that's not necessarily <laughs> true, but it can, it can be a great mmorpg so go out and well you know what let's let's talk about that for real briefly but life can be the greatest mmorpg it's just i think you need to start 
acting like an MMORPG character. Because in... in <laughs> Does that mean in running MMOs, everywhere and jumping like crazy? Well, sure. It's like, in MMOs, you're not afraid to talk to anybody, right? You yeah, just talk yeah, yeah. to people. Or, like, you're not afraid to tackle that really difficult boss. You just go tackle it. And if you fail, you try again, right? Yeah, but someone... in real life, like, we're so afraid to even try. Like, we don't even try the things that scare us. And we're so afraid of talking to other people. If a character yells at you, like, in life, you're like, oh, man, am I, like, a crappy person because they did that but if yeah. you're playing an mmo you're like well that character is clearly like supposed to be a bad guy or something <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's so funny like we're so ready to give up our own convictions as soon as somebody else challenges them mm-hmm. like yeah. oh yeah you must be right yeah yeah I'm, I'm worthless and i don't deserve to say what i just said <laughs> but man go out there and say you know what i am a orc from azeroth and I'm going to get my way. <laughs> I've never played World of Warcraft, so I might be talking out of my butt here. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, I think. <laughs> but no, let's just say, okay, you know, say, you know what? I am Locke from Final Fantasy VI, and I'm going to talk to that NPC and say, hey, what are you doing? Let's go have some fun together. Or, hey, what are you doing? I need a job. Or, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Give me a quest. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, just if we can have a closing thought, a good one is don't be afraid to go out and do the things that scare you, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And also, buy the Life MMO on PC, the graphics are better. Or <laughs> <laughs> <Better> in HD. <laughs> you got them 25K visuals, <laughs> those no pixel visuals. <laughs> Okay, I think that does it, right? So, uh, Andrew, why don't you put that campfire out? All right. All right, and uh, make sure you check well, I guess, us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash adventure. Yes. Twitter.com slash ADVARCH64. And Facebook.com slash adventure archives. <laughs> and YouTube.com slash user slash adventure archives. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if you need to put the user anymore. Um, but yes, ask us questions. Ask questions in the comments. Send us emails. Send us Twitters. Send us Facebooks. Whatever. We'll find them. We'll put them in the episodes. Yep. We'll talk about anything you want us to. Unless it's like politics. No hot button yeah. topics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about those, but you may not like the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't blame us. <laughs> okay, Triggered. So, thanks for listening, guys. And then uh, this is Robbie out. This is Andrew out. And this is Brian out.